On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. After the first trial is done, Jesus is brought to Pilate, the governor of the area, for yet another trial. And this trial will decide what will be done with Jesus of Nazareth. And what accusation do you bring against this man? If this man wasn't doing evil, we wouldn't have delivered him over to you. Then take him yourself and judge him by your own law. And you didn't even state a valid accusation. But it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. <sighs> Come, bring him inside then. Are you the king of the Jews? You say this of your own accord? What did other people say to you about me? Am I a Jew? Your own people and the chief priests have delivered you to me. So what have you done? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So you are a king. You say so? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? Everyone seems to have different definitions of it. And you're speaking like it's this certain singular truth. I am the truth. After Jesus says this, Pilate leaves the room. He walks outside to find the crowd, still gathered. They're waiting to see what Pilate will say, if he will listen to their requests. I've not found any guilt in this man, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. It was a Jewish tradition during Passover to release one prisoner. It was customary to allow the people to choose between two prisoners to release and save one of them from future execution. So who should I release? This man? This man, Jesus? No! Or Barabbas? No! Release Barabbas. Barabbas. Barabbas! Not Jesus! The robber, Barabbas. You're sure, because he caused a lot of damage and he hurt a lot of people. Release him! Release him! Well then, what should I do with this man that you call the King of the Jews? Crucify him! Crucify him! Why? What has he done? Who cares? Crucify him anyway. Crucify, Crucify him. him. Pilate turns around and walks back into the building where Jesus is waiting silently, hands bound behind his back. Well, Jesus, it looks like you'll be with me a little bit longer. Personally, I don't understand what you did, but apparently the people disagree. Do you know what you've done? Jesus was silent and just looked at Pilate. Pilate shrugged and decided to go on with the preparations for the coming crucifixions. The silence of Jesus with Pilate was prophesied in Isaiah 53, where it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep 
that before its shearers is silent. Down in his prison cell, Barabbas is curled up in the corner, busy trying to tune out the world all around him, rasping coughs, the clatter of cell doors, the complaints of other prisoners, the damp coolness of the cell. Distantly, he hears footsteps approaching him. He straightens up in his cell, curious. How could someone possibly want to see him now? Maybe it's someone visiting a different prisoner, he thinks. And then a soldier appears in front of his cell. You're free to go. What? They've chosen to release you. Who? And why? The people, the Jews, everyone. No idea why, though. Guess they thought you were the lesser evil. Lesser evil? Then who? The soldier shrugs, just as confused as Barabbas. Jesus, I guess. Personally, I think Jesus is innocent. Pilate didn't find him guilty, but if the crowds insist... The soldier unlocks the cell door. The hinges creak as he opens it, and he gestures for Barabbas to leave. But Barabbas stays inside, still confused. Why me? I heard the stories about Jesus, even in here. Everybody loves him. Why would they want him to be crucified? Especially when his stories were supposedly helpful and useful. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand either. Maybe that's the point, that Jesus has a plan for this. But who are we to know? Or maybe people secretly hated him and his messages and waited until the right time to get rid of him. I, I mean, his messages were highly controversial, so I wouldn't blame them. Either way, I'd suggest you get out of here sooner rather than later in case things change. I mean, you never know what these people are going to do or decide. Especially in this case. I never would have thought they would want Jesus to be killed. Barabbas scrambles up off the hard, damp floor, racing out of the cell and the rest of the jail. The sound of his fast footsteps makes the soldier blink. The soldier is shocked at how fast the prisoner has left after his hesitation was finally gone. When finally out in the street, Barabbas runs aimlessly, unsure of where he should go or what he should do next. He thought he was doomed, but now Barabbas falls in the dusty street on his knees and tears begin to stream down his face. Sir, are you okay? Do you need help? Yes. Are you injured? No, I truly don't know. Well, why do you say that? I was released from prison, I, I don't know why. I certainly am not innocent, I've done many terrible things. Ah, the Passover pardon. Who took your place? Jesus of Nazareth. Well, you must have been spared for a reason. Everyone is saying that. I don't know what the reason is, though. Maybe you'll find a reason at Golgotha. I'll go to Golgotha then. Maybe I can talk to him before... Well, you know. The next few hours of the life of Jesus Christ are the most pivotal hours in all of history. There is much that we could talk about. He suffered greatly. But instead of focusing on the whipping, the flogging, the mocking, the crown of thorns, or the nails, we will focus on the people who were around Jesus. For example, a man named Simon of Cyrene is walking down the street, coming into town from the country, probably visiting family members or stopping by the market. He's walking down the street, an unassuming man, when he is stopped by a soldier in an unfamiliar procession of an injured and limping man leading the way with women mourning and lamenting all around. You there! Me? Did I do something wrong? 
Come over here and pick up this man's cross for him. Oh, are you sure I can carry that thing? Do you dare disobey an order? Coming, coming. Simon hurries over to the procession and quickly gets into place. Walk behind Jesus. There. Perfect. Ready for the cross? It's heavy. The soldiers slowly lower the cross onto Simon's back, and Simon lets out a small groan at the sudden weight of the cross. If you don't mind me asking, where are we going? It's the day of the crucifixion for the criminals. Golgotha. The procession arrives at Golgotha and the cross is transferred back to Jesus. He stumbles up the hill where he is to be placed on the cross. The soldiers nail Jesus to the cross. The crowd around slowly grows, becoming increasingly mournful or jeering. Once the cross is upright, the soldiers go a few steps away where they can keep watch from nearby. They gather Jesus' clothes and divide them equally amongst themselves after many arguments and disputes about who would get what. And then finally, they find one last piece of clothing laying unassumingly on the ground before them, a seamless gray-green tunic, all in one piece from top to bottom. There was only one problem, however. Each of the rest of the pieces of clothing were already divided equally. One person would get an extra piece. The soldiers begin to argue about who will get the tunic until one interrupts with an idea. How about we cast lots for this tunic instead of tearing it? That way we'll see who will get the last piece fair and square. Oh, good idea. Hey, l- let's use these four stones. I call red. Simple enough. I'll take the yellow one. Ooh, the striped one is mine, so uh, the, the flat black one can be yours. Eh, mine by me. I'll put these stones into this jar here and bring it to a person in the crowd and ask them to pick one out. Whoever stone it is will get the tunic. <laughs> How do we know you won't cheat us out of it? Yeah. Yeah, because you might change the winner on the way over here. Fine. If no one trusts me, you all can come with me and make sure I'm honorable in this. The group walks over to a woman in the crowd who is standing watching Jesus on the cross, waiting for something to happen. Ma'am, would you please do us a favor and pick a random stone from this jar? Uh, sure. She reaches into the jar and shuffles the stones around and grabs one, pulling out a flat black stone. And the soldier who just won the tunic grins from ear to ear. All of this took place to fulfill the scriptures that state, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Jesus is on the cross, and at the foot of the cross, some of Jesus' friends and family. His mother Mary is on her knees, weeping, tears soaking the ground before her. One of the disciples, John, kneels beside her, wrapping his arms around her as they both weep. Jesus looks down at them with infinite love in his eyes. Woman, behold your son. John looks up at Jesus. Behold your mother. And then helps Jesus' mother to her feet. He leads her away from the cross and takes her to his own home so that he can care for her. The sky above the hill grows darker and even darker, black clouds smothering out all light. The torches surrounding the area sputter, dimming to a tiny flame. My God, 
My God, why have you forsaken me? He's calling Elijah. Uh, quick, bring him something to drink. A woman and a couple of her friends did just that. They grabbed a sponge and they soaked it in sour wine. They attached the sponge to a stick and they stretch it up to Jesus. Wait, not yet. Reluctantly, the group lowers the stick from Jesus' face, looking uncertainly at each other. I mean, this man has endured enough. Jesus looks at the crowd before him, and then he looks up to the sky, and he cries out to his father. It is finished. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Just as soon as he had rallied his strength so his head rose and his eyes stared down the clouded sky, his strength just as easily faded, his head now hanging limply from his slumped shoulders. His last statement quietly echoes through the crowd. Down the road stands the temple, and inside, the veil separating the two sections of the temple tears completely in two. The sound of the rip echoes around the city. The earth shakes, boulders split, and the crowd standing before the cross begin to scream. Some of them fall down. They get up and run, leaving only a handful of people who stay before the cross. And the centurions that were assigned to guard the cross shakily stand back up. That was not a natural earthquake. Did you hear that sound? I think it came from the temple. Nope, definitely not. I wonder what happened. Man, it truly is unfortunate that we have to stay here and guard these crosses. Otherwise, we could go check it out. Greetings. Greetings. Where did you just come from, good man? The temple. I bring news of it. Ah, what happened? Did it collapse? No, that is not what happened. Didn't Jesus say at one point it was going to be destroyed? The temple did not collapse. You know the curtain that separated the two sections of the temple? It ripped completely from top to bottom. Truly, this man was the Son of God. It is said in Zechariah 12, when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. It is the day of preparation when the bodies of those crucified are taken down from the crosses so that they are not still up on the Sabbath because Jews cannot work on the Sabbath. It is a day of rest. Ah, what now? Can't I just get some peace and quiet after the past few days? I already have enough to catch up on after the whole Jesus of Nazareth debacle. Hello, sir? We just have a small request to make of you. Yes, yes, quite small. So small, it will not take long at all to complete. Can you make sure the legs of those who were crucified are broken so they can be taken down and buried? It's a ghastly sight, seeing them still up. Yes, I'll send some soldiers over and will you please leave? Leaving Pilate in peace, he sends a group of soldiers to Golgotha, ordering them to break the criminals' legs. At Golgotha, the soldiers walk up to the crosses and the men hanging on them. Yeah, this man's legs are broken. So is his. Why are you just staring at Jesus? Have you broken his legs yet? 
Oh, no, he's very much already dead. Ah, then we're good. Don't worry about his legs. Let's just take him down now. This took place to fulfill the scriptures that state, not one of his bones will be broken. Let's still pierce his side, though, just to make sure. The soldier pierces Jesus' side, causing water and blood to escape the wound. This fulfilled the scriptures that said, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After all these events and after the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea visits Pilate and he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus to take away and to bury. And Pilate gives him permission, happy to finally be done with all of the Jesus drama. Joseph of Arimathea was one of Jesus' disciples and secretly feared the Jews. So he wanted to take the body away before the Jews could take it away to who knows where. Joseph took Jesus' body and he met up with Nicodemus. Ah, Nicodemus, do you have the spices and the herbs? I do. Where are we taking him? To a new tomb I have carved. It was originally for someone else, but this is the best purpose for it. They take the body of Jesus and they wrap it in linen with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Near the place where Jesus was crucified, there is a garden, and in the garden, the new tomb Joseph was referring to. They bring Jesus' body there, finding the garden and the tomb in pristine condition. The trees in the garden provide ample shade for people to enjoy and to cool off in the area and surround the tomb carved out of a large stone boulder in the garden. This is the spot you were talking about. It's perfect and quite beautiful, I might add. The two walk into the dark and empty tomb. They gently lay Jesus' body down on the stone slab inside. After laying him down, the two exit the tomb and roll a stone over the blank void of an entrance, shutting the body of Jesus in and keeping everyone else out. Maybe you remember what we talked about at the end of the first episode, about how God calls each of us to him, just as he called each of his disciples. He calls us with great purpose. He wants us to follow him despite the pain he knew would come. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be put on trial. He calmly faced the jeering crowds that demanded him to be crucified. And he allowed himself to be nailed on the cross. And he did this for each and every person, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The many events discussed here took place to fulfill what was stated by the prophets in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and by his wounds, we are healed. When he was on the cross, it was said in Psalm 22, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Well, then let the Lord rescue him. In Fulfillment is an audio drama that shares the prophecies about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
This episode of In Fulfillment is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul.